Welcome to the Coaching Matters Podcast brought to you by Fundraising University and Brian Kane Peak Performance. Coaching Matters is a nonprofit foundation whose primary purpose is to help coaches, athletes, and activities directors succeed in their programs, schools, and communities. Fundraising University works to help you raise the most amount of money in the least amount of time with the least amount of interference to support coaches and activities directors in enhancing the student experience and life skill development that is a critical component of our educational systems. Brian Kane, one of the world's leading mental performance coaches, works to educate, empower, and energize you to be your best through his 10 pillars of mental performance mastery systems. Together, each week, we bring you interviews, question and answer sessions, and group coaching around mastering mental performance, creating elite culture, and developing the leadership skills you need to succeed. And now, this week's Coaching Matters Podcast. And hey, everybody, thanks for joining us here. This is Brian Kane with the Coaching Matters Group Coaching Program and Podcast, sponsored by Fundraising University. And super excited to have you join us here tonight. And, you know, before we get started, I just want to welcome everyone to the Coaching Matters Group Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Fundraising University. We'd like to take the time to just say thank you to any current Fundraising University coaches and administrators joining us on the call today, as well as a shout out to Athletic Director. Marty Tonis and his coaching staff with Horizon High School in Colorado. They're joining us live with Mike Bahoon, owner of Fundraising University tonight. Now, Fundraising University is the top high school fundraising company in the United States, helping to raise over $150 million for programs since its inception in 2009. Special congratulations is in order tonight as Fundraising University reached a major milestone of helping a high school football team in Colorado to raise over $100,000 in one week. Let me say that again, raised over $100,000 in one week. They had the opportunity to spend some time with head coach Garrett Looney, and I want to take a look here at a special video that we put together to feature them and their great success. Let's take a look. Uh, yes, born and raised in Colorado, uh, played locally high school at Columbine High School, won a state championship there, uh, played college football up at Northern Colorado, so state and state, uh, coached at several high schools around the area, uh, most recently Eagle Crest, uh, Valor before that, won a couple championships there, and then I've been a head coach here at Mount Vista for three years now. I think the biggest thing is you make a clear expectation just like you do for everything you do in a program, whether that's practice, whether that's lifting, whether that's you know how you play, how you dress, how you do everything. We had a certain number of cards each kid needed to sell and we don't really take excuses for that any more than we wouldn't take excuses for missing a practice. So really setting the culture up to where you know the kids are bought into it. Um, this is the only fundraiser that we do. We make it clear that this is the most important thing that we do because of that um, and the kids bought into it. The expectation for me and my staff is that there are no excuses to not sell them. So, And it's not about the card, it's more about building that sense of community and using the card really as a tool for that. I think just the, the ease and, and use of it, I think it was easy to sell. I think 
obviously getting the vendors around here to buy in and, and be a part of the, the program was huge too. And I think just the way that this is set up, the way the program is set up, it's easy for me as a coach to, to put it together and it makes it a lot easier on the kids. When I'm not stressing about it, the kids aren't gonna stress on it. So I think the $30 card honestly sold more. I mean, it did sell more. We sold more cards at 30 than we did at 20. So that was irrelevant to me here. Again, I don't think it was about the card. I think it was about our kids getting out in the community and the community supporting our kids in our school. You know, it was just the, the meetings and the check-ins with the kids to make sure we were on track. Um, and then having those, you know, individual conversations with kids that weren't meeting where we needed them to be every few days. I mean, overall, not very much work at all. Cause again, I think it's a self-sustainable system and the kids did a great job and our community did a, good, did a great job of supporting it. Uh, we just bought new squat racks for our weight room. Those are not cheap, so that was a big part of it. Uh, we're gonna do another new Jordan uniform next year, which will be a big part of that too. So giving it back to the kids cause they earned it and they deserve it. I think the ease of use, I think that the group and the, the gentleman that worked with us, uh, Mr. Morse was awesome. I mean, he's a former coach. He knows what's going on and he knows how busy coaches are. Um, he did a great job of checking in. He did a great job of checking in with the kids. And I think any, any way that you can be with a company that takes the pressure off of me as the coach or my coaching staff, I would, I would encourage people to use that because again, we have enough going on that a lot of people look at fundraisers and think, oh, it's a bunch of work I have to do. But fund, fundraiser, you did a great job of doing all the work for us and really just getting our kids out in the community, which was awesome. So I would definitely use this company you know, moving forward just because of that. And huge congratulations on a successful fundraiser and, and super excited tonight to have someone talk about success. We're going to have, we have coach Leslie Huntington. Who's here, coach Huntington. I'm going to spotlight you and pin you here for a second so that everyone can see your, your shirt. As we mentioned, when adversity <laughs> hits, right? The one thing we want to say is we want to say one word good and a little background on coach Huntington. She's a mental performance mastery certified coach. She's been the head softball coach at the university of Wisconsin, Eau Claire for over 20 years. She's the all time winningest coach and earned her 500th career win back in February of 2021. She's going to be inducted into the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association Hall of Fame this upcoming December. And in 2008, she led the Blue Golds to an NCAA Division III National Championship. It was the first in program history. So, Coach Huntington, excited to hear you talk tonight about your experience as a coach and you know building better players and better people by using some of the mental skills that any of our coaches here can use on a daily basis. So thanks for being with us, Coach. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I'm just going to give a, you know, kind of start off tonight with just talking about, you know, as, as a successful coach in, in softball. And I think if you can coach, you can coach. So if we put you on a football program or on a soccer field or in a baseball field or on a softball field, you're going to have success. So what are some of those key components that you think as a coach, you know, any, any high school coach, college coach, youth coach could use from a mental performance standpoint, maybe starting with that one word that's on your shirt and why you chose that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually made this shirt about a week ago. Um, so I got a, I got a cricket, I got a heat press. I'm trying to figure all that out, checking out YouTube and trying to figure out how to do all that stuff, saving the program some money, um, which is ironic with the fundraising you, but yeah, trying to save the program some money. But, uh, you know, I, I told our players, um, we, we are about in our second week, um, of fall practice. And, and one of the, we do a little bit of chalk talk at the beginning of every practice and, and it goes in different directions. I always have a grand plan, but then, right. Don't be, don't be perfect. Just be present. Um, 
And uh, one of the, the, the last practices, I just said, you know, I wrote it on our whiteboard in our dugout. And I said, I wrote down the word good. And I said, you guys are going to get used to hearing me say this. I said, because, you know, you come to you come to practice and you just, you know, struggled with an exam and my response is going to be good. What are you going to learn from it? How can you prepare better next time? Um, so many things that that word is applicable. And I just, I love it. It's so simple. And every time I say it, I get a little smirk out of them because they kind of know that that's what they can expect from me at this point. So, um, yeah, it's just, and that's just one of so many different things that, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of all this mental performance mastery training and and learning so many things. And, and, um, we, we try to do a little, a lot rather than a lot, a little, but, um, there's, there's some really good things that we can implement into our systems and do things consistently on a pretty regular basis. You know, we've got our chat function working here. So if any of the coaches or athletes that are with us, if you want to have a question for coach Leslie Huntington or myself, please feel free to drop that here in, in our chat and coach Huntington, I want to come back to something that you mentioned doing a chalk talk before practice. And I just last week was at the university of Houston and their head coach, uh, baseball coach, Todd Whitting. One of the things he does before every practice is what he calls a mental minute and it's on the practice plan. And he'll talk with his team about some component of mental performance every day. How do you use that chalk talk? Is it always mental game? Do you also talk about maybe something related to softball? How do you use that chalk talk period? Yeah. A lot of the times it is something to do with the mental game and, and my players would laugh and say, well, mental minute turns into about a mental 45 minutes when coach starts talking at the beginning of practice. So, um, I can't help it. I get fired up. I'm so passionate about it that I just, I just kind of take it and run with it. But, um, last week, our topic was leadership and we started talking about, you know, defining leadership and what are the, you know, what do the younger players look for in a, in someone that they feel like they're, they're going to respect and follow. Um, and, and it kind of just went from there. Um, but that chalk talk is, um, you know, it can be leadership. It can be talking about like, you know, I've got the list, the process over outcome. Um, we're going to talk about talent setting, uh, setting telescope goals and then breaking them down into the microscope goals and things like that, because our goal is to be a national champion. Well, what college doesn't want to win a national championship. And mm -hmm. so my challenge to our players all the time is what's going to set us apart. And it's those finer details and spending the time, um, you know, sp spending the time on the mental game, because I think that that's something that, and I was one of those coaches for a long time that thought, you know, oh, we got so much that we've got to get in here as far as X's and O's, we just don't have the time to do it. And now I'm like, the X's and O's can wait. This is the important stuff. This is going to be the difference maker between winning some games and, and not winning some games that maybe we shouldn't, you know, people think we shouldn't win. The mental game is going to win those games for us. How is you see, I heard you say that the mental game is a difference maker in winning those games, those championship games, those big games. What are the aspects of the mental game that you feel like help you to win those big games? Cause there's one thing I know about all the coaches that are on this call. They're looking for strategies from you tonight that can help them win tomorrow. Well, I think process over outcome is a huge one. And, um, I go back immediately to the 2008 national championship game, um, in the situation that we were in, uh, and, and, you know, we, we had a couple of players that were, uh, you know, kind of, it, it was tense. It was tense. And, uh, 
And so I had to make a decision to have a conversation with a player at that point in time that could have turned that game either way, depending on how she responded to it. And so, you know, E plus R equals O there's you, there's another aspect of it, but, um, it was, it was process over outcome because at no point in time did I ever panic and feel like we were going to lose that game. And I think that our players had bought into the process over outcome so much that they believed without a doubt that we were going to win that game as it went into extra innings. We won it, I think in the bottom of the ninth, um, with a walk-off home run and the point in that game where, I just felt like everybody was, everybody was in sync was our second baseman. She was an all American that year. She let off the inning. And before she went to the plate, she said, coach, I'm going to win this thing right now. And I was like, cool, that'd be pretty sweet. And she hit a little dribbler ground ball and grounded out. And she came running back to the dugout and she actually had a smile on her face. And I thought of all the things, as far as how confident that player was, that everybody trusted the process and all we had to do was keep playing one pitch at a time. And we were confident that we were still going to win the game. Um, that was, that was huge. That smile on her face. Cause this is a player that was super intense, um, you know, and driven and for her to have that response when she grounded out, like she did in that moment. Um, I think it just gave the entire team a ton of confidence. Coach, when you're talking about building leadership, and I think that's one of the primary goals of, of the coaches that are on this call here tonight, is that they want to develop better student-athlete leaders. They want to take their program from being a team that is, as we say, coach-fed, where the players are always looking to the coach for the answer, versus player-led, where the players are making decisions and taking action. And sometimes when we do that, we have what we call aggressive mistakes, and aggressive mistakes are going to win. Like, we'll take aggressive mistakes all day. We just can't have passive mistakes where I'm not doing anything because I'm waiting around to be told what to do all the time. So... Talk about um, leadership and some of the characteristics, or, or, or should, should I say, some of the strategies that you do to help develop leaders in your program. Is there anything specifically that you're doing? Well, I think one of the big things is we just, we just talk a ton about the importance of each player leading themselves well. And the better job each individual does of leading themselves well, the less they have to have a teammate hold them accountable. And then we define what that looks like. What's it look like to lead yourself well in the weight room? What's it look like to lead yourself well in the classroom? What's it look like to lead yourself well in the community? When we do camps, what's it look like to lead yourself well when you're instructing younger players? And we talk about all those things and, and everybody gets on the same page with what those things look like. Um, because we have in, in our program, we don't have captains per se. We have squad leaders. We call them squad leaders. And um, one of my, my biggest criteria for squad leaders, and I choose our squad leaders. We don't, we don't vote. I'll have discussions with players about what they think and stuff like that. But, uh, for the most part, I choose who the squad leaders are. And I tell them that my number one criteria is you have to have proven to me that you can lead yourself first because you can't lead others if you can't first lead yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of talking, a lot of defining what that looks like, um, and having that discussion. And then I meet with my leaders weekly. Um, and we actually use a Jeff Jansen book on leadership and we go through that and we go through a chapter at a time, but the leadership part is not just for those squad leaders then. So we take a chapter that we work with, with those, with those team leaders. And then the following week, we use that same chapter and that's what the basis of our chalk talks is. 
Beautiful. So when you're looking at from a recruiting standpoint, let's say you're going to look at a high school athlete and you're looking for somebody who leads. Let's talk about, you know, because I love what you said there for the coaches. And this is be a great note and a great takeaway for them is what does it look like to lead yourself well? What does it look like to lead yourself first? And we talk about in my mental performance coaches certification, like lead your 20 square feet, meaning lead your locker and then work on the person next to you. And if everyone does that, we get the entire locker room with starting with myself and then having the accountability of the person next to me. And I think three characteristics of championship teams that we're all trying to implement. So coaches, if you have a chance to write this down, these are three characteristics that if you can bring to a program, whether you're a mental performance coach or consultant on this call, or you're a team's head coach, number one is clarity. And, what, and clarity is, I know exactly what it looks like. Clarity is here's the behaviors we want, the behaviors we don't want. And when coach Huntington is saying, this is what it looks like to lead yourself well, and you have that discussion that creates clarity. Second thing is accountability, holding yourself and leading yourself first and then demanding that your teammates do the same and live in alignment with what it looks like to be a blue gold, what it looks like to be a horizon Husky. And then the third step is support. Because it's difficult to lead. It's difficult to be elite. And you have to have the support of people bringing you and putting you back into, into the battle. If you watch a boxing match, if you watch a UFC fight, those athletes don't walk to the ring by themselves. They go to the ring with like four people in their corner, their corner man. And those corner men are there to support those athletes as they go through the challenge. And that's, I think, what we're looking for, you know, is is how do we create in our program that support, that accountability, and create that clarity on what it looks like to be a leader? So, Coach, when you're out looking for leaders or you're, you're, you're looking for leaders in your program, what are some of the very specific behaviors that you go looking for in athletes? Well, I'm going to watch for you know players that are physically and verbally acknowledging teammates when they don't succeed. So a kid strikes out, she comes back to the dugout. Who are the kids that are high-fiving her, tapping her on the helmet saying, Hey, it's okay. You got the next one. Um, you know, on defense, you know, a pitcher's just giving up a big hit, which one of those players is going into the circle and, and, you know, slapping her glove and saying, Hey, you're, you're, you're good. You got this. You're going to be fine. So looking for those types of things, um, when it comes to leadership, you know, it's, it's maybe not necessarily a strictly a leadership characteristic, but, you know, we look for the kids that are carrying their own gear bags. Hmm. You know, we look for the kids that are, that are, um, offering water to the officials, you know, different things like that, different things that, that you wouldn't necessarily see everybody do. Um, but just those subtle things that say, look at the character of this kid, and look at what she's willing to do as far as maybe nobody else on her team is doing it, but it's that one player that's doing that kind of stuff. And that's the type of thing that we're paying attention to. I watch a, I watch a player longer after her at bat um, than, than, you know, most people probably realize, especially if she's failed in the at bat. I'm going to watch her walk back to the dugout. I'm going to watch her when she goes into the dugout. I'm going to watch the way she takes her helmet off. I'm going to watch the way she takes her batting gloves off, the way she puts her bat down. I'm going to watch the way she responds to teammates uh, when they acknowledge her when she comes back in the dugout. So all those little things that, um, you know, really don't have much to do with a batting average, but everything to do with the kind of kid that we're going to want to come in and, and be a part of our culture.
You know, it's funny, Coach, you mentioned about the kid carrying their own gear bag. And for our, our high school student athletes that are listening to this and our high school coaches here, what an important concept. And, you know, the, the New Zealand All Blacks, I always go back to the book Legacy about the New Zealand All Blacks written by a guy named James Kerr. And the New Zealand All Blacks, we don't talk a ton about rugby here in the U.S., but we've got some international um, uh, coaches on our call as well. And rugby's massive in other parts of the world. And in the New Zealand All Blacks are the international team from the country of New Zealand. And one of the things that, that they talk about in the book Legacy is after they play a game, imagine Tom Brady and the Buccaneers last year when they won the Super Bowl, that Tom Brady takes a broom out of his bag, screws the broom together, and sweeps the locker room of all the pre-wrap the dirt pellets from the turf field, everything that would be in that locker room for he sleeps up and throws away that the world that the best player in the world on the New Zealand, uh, all blacks does that for his team after they win the world championship, because there's no greater honor than to serve your team. And they say that as an all black, no one cleans up after us because we clean up after ourselves. And I, you see this last year, if you as a coach do a Google search for army versus Oklahoma football, it was September 22nd, 2018, and Army takes Oklahoma, who's the number four team in the country, into overtime. And when the game's over, the Oklahoma student managers take a picture of the Army locker room because they left it spotless after the game. So I think when we're looking at leadership, carrying your own gear bag is a microcosm for that player who then maybe is doing their own laundry, cleaning their own room, making know how to make their own food, taking one word responsibility for their life and for their career coach talk about the importance of responsibility uh in our in our athletes who are on this call taking that responsibility but also as a coach what are some things that you do to help foster that responsibility in your athletes yeah well one of the things that we do is um when we when we assign when i choose squad leaders um the, they decide who they're going to have in each squad. So this year we have three squad leaders. So we have three different squads. And so each of those squad leaders is in charge of that group of people. And then within those squads, we create accountability partners. So making sure that your accountability partner is um, getting to the weight room on time early in the morning, if they're supposed to, if they have a lift, um, making sure that they're on time getting to practice. If there's, if they're running late, it's like, I'm calling them and I'm asking them where they are. Um, but again, the emphasis on leading themselves first and taking responsibility for themselves, because if they can do that, then it takes that pressure and that stress off that accountability partner to be like, Hey, where the heck are you? Why aren't you here? You're supposed to be here right now. Um, and then, you know, everything from, um, you know, like right now our, our batting cages, they, they got some weeds in them. So I'm like, every time you go on the batting cage, you need to pull some weeds. Every time you step on the field, if there's, if there's a, a piece of paper or a piece of plastic or something on the grass or on the field, you need to pick it up and throw it in the garbage. When you're around campus, you see garbage on campus, pick that garbage up and put it in the garbage can because it's not just the custodian's job to pick up the garbage. It's everyone's job to pick up the garbage. So those types of things as far as responsibility. And then also um, we talk about uh, like early in the morning when the, when the freshmen who live in the dorms have to have to come over to lift, they all meet in one location before they walk over to the gym so that no one is left behind. So that if someone's not there, they haven't all just kind of gone on and done their own thing. And now all of a sudden they're all in the weight room and they're like, well, where's so-and-so 
they're waiting for each other. So if someone doesn't show up on time, they're running up to that dorm room and they're banging on that door and making sure that that person gets up and, and makes it to lift on time. Because I just say, you know, if one person's late, you're all late because everybody is everybody else's responsibility. This is a team and we're going to do things together and we're going to have standards and everybody's expected to uphold the standard and you just don't leave anybody behind. Yeah. I love that concept of, you know, a shared leadership model. And you're talking about squad leaders and I've used the analogy probably similar of, of like boat crew leaders and, you know, setting up as just with a college baseball team that has 45 players. So we had nine boat crews of five people, nine boat crew leaders, nine squad leaders, and something that we'd want to pass down to the, to the whole team. We would task those nine boat crew leaders with to then bring to the rest of their teammates. And the beautiful part about that is, it one provides an opportunity for those nine boat crew leaders or nine squad leaders to lead. And then from there, what it does is it, it creates shared, what I call a shared leadership model, or to take a military term, it's called decentralized command where centralized command is head coach captain, right? Where we, like you mentioned, you don't want to have a captain. You want to have leaders, Explain the difference. I think so many times when I've spoke at schools around the country, high schools, we've had the conversation of like, what makes a great captain? And I always say training. So let's not just train your captain. Let's train everyone in your program to be a leader, you know, because ultimately what's the captain going to do? They're going to pick what uniform they wear. They're going to walk out and, and, and talk to the officials before the game. But ultimately a leader is somebody who's going to have influence and impact. So talk a little bit more coach, if you would, about the difference between having a captain, which everyone looks to for one person to lead, which is extremely difficult, maybe impossible versus having a shared leadership model and squad leaders. What made you decide to go to that model? Well, I don't like the word captain in a team setting. I think that, you know, too many times, and even at the college level, it's really difficult to get, to get college student athletes to understand that, Number one, they don't have to have a title to lead. And number two, just because they have a title doesn't mean they lead. Hmm. And so I wanted, I really wanted them to understand that it, it is about everyone learning how to lead um, and, and everyone having that shared leadership ability and responsibility and growing as leaders. So I think that's the biggest thing as far as the difference for me is that our leadership model is one where we want everyone to be a leader and we want people to kind of emerge and evolve with their leadership strengths rather than, you know, a, a player on the team looking at, at a captain and saying, well, that's not my job. I'm not the captain. Mm. So I want it to be everybody's job. Everybody's responsible for, for protecting the culture and taking care of the culture and sweeping the sheds. You know, everybody's responsible for that. Not just, not just the captain. Love that concept of sweeping the sheds and Yale university football coach, Tony Reno, uh, he had his team every year go through and read the book Legacy, and he would give at the end of practice his the, the, the leader of his team, the team at Yale. It is an athletic department policy called a tradition that every year the team at the end of the last game, they vote on the captain for the next year. It's something they've done for like 100 years, so they keep doing it. So they have a captain, but in that program specifically, it's a shared leadership model within each position group. But at the end of practice, he would have two brooms. And the captain every practice and then a leader that was decided on that day by the team would take two brooms and they would sweep the locker room use your term sweep the shed after practice 
And I remember the first two, three days, it took them like two hours because guys are leaving clothes on the ground. They're not putting their stuff back the way it's supposed to go. And they, and the captain, uh, who I believe now is a Navy SEAL, comes into to the, the coach's office and said, hey, coach, after our team meeting today, I need the guys for about five minutes to show them some stuff. Showed them pictures of the locker room. Showed them the time of how long he was in there to clean the locker room. And set the standard of this is what your locker is going to look like. And every day from that day moving forward, Till currently today, four years later, they will leave the locker looking a certain way when they leave. And I remember the coach told me like three days later, he had a knock on the door and it was the custodian in the, in the building. He said, Hey coach, uh, you know, usually it takes me a couple hours to clean your lock, your guys locker room. And now I'm doing it under an hour. Like, uh, I, I'm going to need some other stuff to do around here, you know? And I just thought that was awesome that no one has to clean up after you because you clean up after yourself. It's a sign of responsibility. It's a sign of respect. Thanks for checking out this week's Coaching Matters podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a subscribe and a review. Also, be sure to engage with us on social media here in the notes for the show. And remember, dream big, raise more, and coaching matters.